Well, good morning. Good morning. Really, really glad to be with you. Mike, thank you for the introduction. Uh, I've been looking forward to this Sunday. Um, thank you for praying for Redemption Church, and I'm going to give you an update about that church in just a minute. First, I want to give you an update about my family. So I've been married to my wife, Kelsey, for 16 years. Uh, she has been an awesome support to me, as a lot of pastors' wives are, but especially church planters' wives. Uh, so she's been on board with all of my crazy ideas about starting new churches, and uh, I've just enjoyed that ride with her. My oldest is Olive. Olive will be 14 next month. She's a leader, type A personality, great firstborn child in a family, like a second mother to the younger siblings. I, I tell people I love all of my kids the same, but she is the easiest to love. Um, next is Lincoln. Lincoln turned 12 this month. Lincoln loves everything with a ball, really smart, sharp kid. Uh, he's a lot of fun. Then we have Coco, who's seven. Coco's a sweet kid. She's also very spicy. Um, tons of energy, a walking party. People just love her. Her name is very fitting. And lastly, there's Georgia. Georgia is the baby of the family. She very much enjoys that position in the family. Uh, she is mama's baby, and uh, she's happy about that. Um, the Lord's provided our family with good community since we moved into Portland. We left a church that we loved uh, to start a new church in the city, God has answered our prayers to give our kids good friendships outside of the church, in our neighborhood, in their schools, and also within our church. So we're really thankful for that. And the Lord is doing the same thing for Kelsey and I as well. Our Redemption Church, uh, this month, we got to celebrate our first anniversary. So we started our church last September, and as Mike pointed out, the timing was perfect for that after a crazy summer in Portland. Uh, we didn't know really what to expect, um, how things would go, what the response would be to our church. Um, in the city of Portland, people are still very cautious about COVID. Would people even come, right? We had all of these questions, and the Lord has exceeded all of our expectations. God has been so faithful to bring lots of visitors into our doors, or through our doors, uh, lots of people just off the street and in the neighborhood to check out Redemption Church. By God's grace, the church is growing in unity in love, service, generosity, discipleship, and also in number. We've had a couple of conversions so far, really happy about God's good work in the lives of his people. And as Mike pointed out, uh, our church was gifted a building. So we were renting space from another church on Sunday afternoons at 4 p.m. We were about eight weeks into that arrangement. Uh, no one was thrilled about meeting at that time, but we're church plants, so you just got to put up with stuff. And... Um, I was leaving church one Sunday evening and kind of grumbled to God, saying, Lord, it sure would be nice if we had our own space, and if we could just meet on Sunday morning. The next day, I got a phone call saying that this church was closing and that they had been praying about giving their building to Redemption Church, and they did. And it's a pretty sweet facility. It needed some work, and the Lord provided uh, the resources necessary to do that work, and we are enjoying that space. Uh, thank you for praying for our church. Thank you also for your financial support and your partnership. 3 John 8 says that when you support people like me, missionaries, church planters, you become a co-laborer in that work, meaning that you should view yourself as a real part of what's happening in the life and ministry of Redemption Church. Please do continue praying for us. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 90. 
the most valuable resource that we have is our time. But time never stops ticking away. So we look for ways to save time. And we think of how we can make the most of our time. Often when decisions are being weighed and plans are considered, the phrase, life is short, referring to our limited time, will determine a course of action. Popular ways that this is applied are as follows. Life is short. Spend it with people who make you laugh and feel loved. Life is short. Time is fast. No replay, no rewind. So enjoy every moment as it comes. Life is short. Break the rules. Life is short. Buy the shoes, drink the wine, order the dessert. And my favorite, life is short. Smile while you still have teeth. The idea is our lives, like the sand in an hourglass, is steadily draining away, and we have to make the most of it. And apparently, the way that you make the most of your life is by living in the moment. Just consider if that's true. Living in the moment produces fleeting happiness, but it does not yield lasting fulfillment. Our text this morning will show us that we are not fulfilled by living in the moment to please ourselves. No, we are fulfilled by living with eternity in view to please God. Psalm 90 teaches us to respond to the brevity of human life and the brokenness of this world by finding satisfaction and success in the Lord. Now in this life, we're still going to suffer, and one day soon our bodies will expire. But God gives our lives meaning and purpose by transforming our lowly existence into a glorious experience of his grace. The title of Psalm 90, that superscription, says that this is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. It was very fitting for Moses to write this psalm. Uh, During the wilderness wanderings, he was reminded, probably daily, that our lives are short and difficult. He shepherded 12 tribes, different tribes, different cultures of people, over 2 million people while living in a desert landscape with few resources. And Moses learned a lesson there that the struggle is real. And we have to remember that Moses saw an entire generation of people die during that 40-year wilderness wandering. Conservative estimates puts that number at over 1 million people. On average... 25,000 funerals each year, 2,000 every month, 480 a week, 68 each day. He was frequently reminded that our days are short. Well, with those experiences in mind, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote Psalm 90. Let's read this psalm now and hear the beautiful prayer of Moses. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. 
In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Our sermon outline has three points, three headings. First, the eternity of God and the brevity of life. That's verses 1 through 6. Second, the holiness of God and the brokenness of this world. Verses 7 through 12. And lastly, the mercy of God and the blessedness of a relationship with him, verses 13 through 17. We begin with that first heading, the eternity of God and the brevity of human life. Look again at verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The address here that opens his prayer, Lord, acknowledges God's sovereign rule over our lives. We are his to command. He is ours to enjoy. He is our dwelling place. The idea that God is our dwelling place or our refuge or our fortress or our rock, it, it pervades in, in the Bible. Uh, in the world, followers of God might own a home. They might have a hometown. They might be born and bred in Snohomish County but they are never really at home. God has been in all generations and will always be the habitation for his people. Uh, even now, as sojourners and pilgrims in this land, we are making our abode in the Lord. A God in all generations has taught his people this lesson. A God was with Abraham, leading him to a land that he would show him. Uh, the, the Lord was with Isaac while he sojourned in that land. And the same is true for, for Jacob, and, and especially vivid for Jacob's son, Joseph. If you know that story about Joseph, the guy who had that coat of many colors. Uh, the Bible tells us that the Lord was with him in all of his trouble. The Lord was with him in Potiphar's house. The Lord was with him in prison. And the Lord was with him while he was leading people from the palace. God goes with his people. And the Lord made that point abundantly clear to the Israelites and to Moses while in the wilderness. Everywhere they went, God gave them manna. God gave them quail. God gave them water, sometimes from a rock. And God guided them by day and by night. God goes with his 
people and we make our abode in him. Our eternal God is our dwelling place, both now and forever. He is with us as we sojourn through this life, and we will be with him forever when Jesus returns. After praising God's eternity in these opening verses, the focus now shifts to our transience. Look at verse 3. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Now here, Psalm 90 is hearkening back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 13, where God said to Adam after he had sinned, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. As a result of our sin, our existence has been cut short. One day, our bodies will go back to the dust. And sometimes, we're reminded of that reality, aren't we? We are reminded that we are fading. I think that the mirror preaches that message to me when I see new gray hairs appearing in my beard and even fewer hairs appearing on the top of my head. It says that I'm fading. That popcorn sound that your knees make when you get out of that deep lounge chair. They're preaching a message to you that you are fading. Not long ago, I went to a conference with some friends of mine, and uh, it was over three nights, and we had a great time together. We stayed up way too late, like two in the morning, every night, playing games, enjoying each other's company, and uh, it took me like two weeks to recover from that trip. (laughs) Back in the day, I would have bounced back, no problem, but I am fading, going back to the dust. The psalm continues to illustrate God's eternity and our transience in verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. In verse 3, we're told that we're going to go back to the dust. Now in verse 4, we are humbled to dust. Here, our time span, our entire life, is put into the huge setting of eternity. The Bible says, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. The prophet Isaiah, in praise of God's greatness, said in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Our God is great, and we are small, very small, speck-sized, uh, microscopic, if, if all of the nations are like a drop from a bucket, then that means you and I are like a fraction of a water molecule. This theme continues in verse 5. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream. Floods, especially in ancient context, uh, would wipe away an entire village or an entire town And then those places would just be a distant memory, just like a dream. Well, history teaches us that two generations from now, most of us will be swept away just like that. We will be forgotten. So our lives are short, and the memory of our lives is short. My grandmother was the matriarch of my family. She was a strong, faithful woman believed in Jesus. I got to spend a lot of summers at her home in Virginia. 
We made a lot of great memories together. She always took me to church, always signed me up for her church's VBS program. That's where I heard the gospel and believed, so got converted during that VBS program. I've got lots of sweet memories of spending summers at my grandmother's house in Virginia. Her memory uh, lives on. She went to be with the Lord when I was 15. Her memory lives on now in the stories that I share with her about my kids, but that will be the end. Right? That's that second generation, and then that memory will be swept away. She never got to meet my wife. She never got to hold my children. They have no memory of her face-to-face, just through stories. The brevity of human life is further illustrated with one final metaphor. Look at the rest of verse 5 and verse 6. Like grass that is renewed in the morning, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening, it fades and withers. This metaphor of our lives being like grass that is renewed and then fades, it's repeated throughout the Bible. Our lives are like grass that's renewed by the morning dew, at first alive and vibrant and then scorched by the afternoon sun and withered by evening. Like on a hot day in August, lots of things are alive in the morning. They will have withered by evening. And that is a reminder of the brevity of human life. Now, as sobering as these metaphors are, we should still be encouraged. One might think that the Lord who stands outside of time, the God who is eternal, to whom a thousand years is as a day, to whom all the nations of the earth are like a drop from a bucket and like dust on the scales, that this marvelous God would not bother with lives that are like the grass of the field. But I want you to notice what Jesus said about his concern for you. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 28 to 30. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God So clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? All right, so notice what Jesus did with this metaphor. He calls it to mind, and then he shows us that within our transient lives lies the grace of our benevolent God. Our lives are brief. Our lives are like the grass of the field, but we are not like the grass of the field. Our worth to God is far greater. Jesus shows us that while our lives are brief, God cares for us. And he cares for us with such great concern that he gives attention to the details of our daily lives down to the food that we eat and the clothing that we wear. Lives are short. Our lives are like the grass of the field. But you and I to God are not like the grass of the field. After talking about the eternity of God and the brevity of human life, our text now addresses the holiness of God and the brokenness of this world. Look at verses 7 and 8. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. So at first, our lives were characterized by brevity, and now by brokenness. We now transition from the dust of Genesis 3 to the condemnation of Genesis 3. 
Uh, in the first point, the quick passing of time was the problem, and now death is the problem. Death is a curse resulting from our sin, and death is the outcome of God's holy judgment against our sin. Because of our sin, we were brought to an end by God's anger, meaning we have no resources within ourselves to commend ourselves to God. We can't save ourselves. By his wrath, the Bible says, we are dismayed, meaning that when the moment of truth confronts us, we are undone and without excuse. All of our iniquities are before God. All of our secret sins are exposed in the light of his presence. I live in the city, and uh, in Portland, it's like essential to have a video doorbell. Uh, first, to watch your packages that get delivered, and second, just to watch your, your home and your cars in general. Uh, these video doorbells are able to record without much light. So thieves might think that they're going undetected when they're taking your stuff, but really they're being recorded, and then those recordings are broadcast publicly. This is like our reality before our all-knowing holy God. Our secret sins are all exposed in the light of his presence, and we have no escape. Our sins are great. And Psalm 90 continues to unpack our guilt before the Lord. I look at verse 9. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Uh, this verse continues the theme of God's wrath against us because of our sins. Because of our rebellion against God, humanity lives under the wrath of God. Death is the ultimate end, and it casts its shadow over each day of our lives. So all of our days pass away under his wrath. And what is the end of it all? We bring our years, all the years of our life, to an end like a sigh. Years here implies a prolonged effort, an effort that comes to nothing because no one can escape death. But church, it's not the end. It's not only the end that is grim. Uh, look at verse 10. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. On average, 70 or 80 years is the number of our days. And they're soon gone, they're brief, and we fly away like a shriveled flower in the wind. So not only is our life short, but our life is hard. Uh, life will, at some point, if it hasn't done it already, kick you in the teeth, right? Uh, our lives can be characterized by toil and trouble, by illness, by relational conflict. By, by wrestling with the weaknesses of the fallen flesh, by having to deal with that unreasonable boss on your job. Our, our lives are characterized by war and injustice, by living through a bad marriage, by living through a recession, by dealing with the grief of a prodigal son, and by all of the other various hardships that make this life difficult. And what are we to make of it all? How should we process the brevity of life, and the brokenness of this world. Well, we see our answer in verses 11 and 12. Look there. Who considers the power of your anger 
and your wrath according to the fear of you. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Now the question is posed, who considers the power of your anger or your wrath according to the fear of you? Who has considered the, the, the relationship between mortality and sin? So often we live in the moment, not thinking about eternity or the consequences of our actions. So the prayer here is that the Lord would teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Uh, the prayer is that we would consider the brevity of life and the weight of our sin and then walk in the fear of the Lord. The prayer is that we gain, that God would give us an eternal perspective. Lord, teach us to think long-term. God, don't just allow me to waste my life. I don't want my life just to be a conglomeration of trivial pursuits, only providing me with temporary pleasure, but no lasting significance or fulfillment in this life. Father, help me to apprehend the brevity of life. Wisdom comes into our hearts when we learn the fear of the Lord. Uh, that, that, that message about the fear of the Lord was one of the messages that Moses preached to the Israelites pretty consistently. He said in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29, Oh, that they had such a, such a heart as is always to fear me and keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. And then Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 29, If they were wise, they would understand this, they would discern their latter end. He was always pointing forward, right? Always pointing forward to eternity with God. Many of us can live our lives like we're not going to die. And I think that's, that's one of the traps of youthfulness, right? The, 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 the time of death really isn't on your mind at, at all. And, and even if it is, uh, some of us think that we can put it off. So we have techniques to try and lengthen our lives. There's nothing you can do to add a single hour to your life. There's things that you can do to improve your quality of life, but the Bible is, is pretty clear about uh, our days already being appointed to us uh, by, our creator, by our Creator God. We're all destined to die and then to face judgment. In these verses also, Moses highlighted a quality of God's character rarely discussed, and that is his wrath. I read a really good definition once of God's wrath. It says, God's wrath is his steady, unrelenting, unremitting, uncompromising antagonism to evil in all its forms and manifestations. God's wrath is how he deals justly with our sin. Now, God's anger is often viewed as a misinterpretation. Like, that's the Old Testament God. We have Jesus from the New Testament who holds lambs in his arms and tells stories to children. The emphasis is often on God's benevolence and not his holiness. So Jesus is viewed as a winsome, wise, religious leader, but not really someone who hates sin and needed to die on the cross in my place and for my sin. Well, that kind of sentimentality, it warps our understanding of God. Our God is a consuming fire. Our God is holy. Through Jesus Christ, he is forgiving, but he is not lenient. 
God is terrifyingly awesome, and there is a great fierceness to his wrath. His holiness requires it. His justice demands it. And just in case you are tempted to think only of benevolence and kindness when you think about the Lord, let's look at that great benevolent verse in the Bible, John 3.16, the most quoted verse from the Bible. For God so loved the world, God loved the world in this way, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That is really good news. That's news that we should broadcast. News that we should declare to anyone who's willing to hear it. Now, lots of people stop there in John's Gospel. They stop at John 3.16. They camp out on that verse without ever putting it into context and reading to the end of the chapter. So let's do that this morning. Let's put that verse into context, John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life as promised, praise God. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The God who loved the world and gave his only Son, that benevolent God is a holy God. His wrath was against us because of our sins. But thanks be to God, his justice has been satisfied through the death of our Savior on the cross. But for those who do not obey the Son, the wrath of God remains on them. If you're a Christian, that is a, that, that's of no concern to you, right? You, you know the joy of sins forgiven, of conscience cleansed, uh, cleansed and, and death defeated in life without end. But if you're not a Christian, I want you to hear me clearly. Your creator God will judge sin. One day he will return and he will finally deal with evil and with evildoers. His judgment will be fierce. But you need not be condemned. By God's own loving initiative, he has provided a way to satisfy his wrath against evil by sending his son Jesus to live for us and then to die in our place, forever atoning for all of our sins, and then triumphing over sin and death by being raised from the grave. Whoever believes that good news and follows Jesus receives new life. If you would like to know more about what it means to follow Jesus and how you can have assurance of that salvation, uh, talk to Pastor Mike after the service. Talk to one of the elders in the church. They would be delighted to have that conversation with you. Psalm 90 closes with a powerful petition for God's favor. This brings us to our third and final heading, God's mercy and the blessedness of a relationship with him. Uh, Look at verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. In verse 3, God said to man, return to the dust, children of man the dust from which you came, and now man says to God, return, O Lord, how long? Uh, This expresses the the, the longing of mankind to be rescued out of the darkness of this world. It's a cry that says, Lord, we need salvation. Uh, This prayer, in keeping with the hope of Scripture, was a prayer that looked forward to the Messiah and the salvation that he would bring. So so the cry here, return, O Lord, is very similar to come, Lord Jesus, that we read about in the New Testament. And and what it means is that the ultimate solution 
for all of our problems in life, all of the brokenness of this world, the, the, the ultimate solution is not just having better policies, just having the, the right person in office, uh, having all of the necessary medical advancements that we need and, and all of the necessary peace treaties. No, we need the one who can finally deal with sin and all of its, all, all of its effects. And, and that man is Jesus. Jesus will return and he will vanquish evil in all of its forms. He will forever end our suffering. He will free us from the entanglements of the fallen flesh. He will unite us perfectly with himself and with each other. He will destroy the dark evil empires of this world and he will rule justly in his everlasting righteous kingdom. Return, O Lord, how long? In response to the brevity of life and the brokenness of this world, we wait for Jesus. We long for his return. And while we wait, God transforms our fading existence. Look at verses 14 and 15. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. What a contrast, and what a great hope. Remember those devastating metaphors from earlier in this psalm. Uh, this prayer teaches us that the brevity of human life and the brokenness of this world can be made sweet by having a blessed relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I got to see this close up about 15 years ago. I had the privilege of serving in Sudan on a, a medium-term mission trip. Um, during that time, the, the, the conflict was still great in the country. Many Christians had suffered severely for their faith. But during our worship gatherings, the rejoicing was exuberant. People who were living under the constant threat of persecution had great gladness and joy in Christ. I've seen that also with Christians who have suffered in faith. Uh, Christians who in faith have continued trusting God and rejoicing in all of his promises even though they have stage four cancer. Uh, Christians who are dealing with major dysfunctions in their home but are yet able to sing the praises of their God. Uh, believers who are, who are dealing with financial strain but, but, but still looking forward to a, a city that has foundations and a treasure that will never fade away. They're able to do that because the Lord is our dwelling place. God is our refuge. God is with us in the struggle, and he gives us joy, and he gives us peace. Life is hard, but life can be made sweet when lived in faith with Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, we get to enter this joy eternally. Psalm 90 is more than a modest prayer that balances the sorrows of this life with joy in the Lord, this psalm expresses a hope in God that extends beyond enjoying him now and extends to enjoying him for all of eternity. Our psalm closes with a request of the Lord that shows how God can transform our lives into a glorious experience of his grace. Look at verses 16 and 17. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. 
Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is a crowning contrast between what was seen as perishable, things that were just fade away, things that were hard in verses 12, uh, 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 3 through 12, and now we see what the Lord is able to accomplish through his abiding presence in our lives. This is the heritage, the hope of a heritage for our children and for others that we love in this transitory world. What we cannot guarantee is our presence in their lives. The Bible is clear, our lives are like a vapor. But what we can do is leave a spiritual heritage of the glorious power of God. You and I might be forgotten two generations from now, but the Bible is clear here that God's work can continue on through us. Here is the delight that our labor is not in vain. Not only will God's word endure, but by his grace our work will endure as well. The cry here to establish the work of our hands is a prayer for purpose It's a prayer for significance. God, we want you to make this life count. Even though it's brief, even though it's marred by brokenness, our lives are not destined to be meaningless. God can take the work that you and I do now, and he can make it matter for all of eternity. I mentioned my grandmother earlier. Her memory is almost gone, but her work lives on. My mother is one of 11, She and most of her siblings are walking with the Lord, praise God for that, and many of my first cousins are also serving God. So obviously, uh, my grandmother's faith and her example and her leadership, it's living on today, right? Through the life of her kids, through the life of her grandchildren. And that's just an illustration of what God can do with your work in this life. Psalm 90 teaches us to take refuge in the Lord, by comprehending the enormity of God's eternity and and thinking about that in light of the transience of our existence. Uh, We can very easily get swept up in the right now, in the moment, you only live once attitude that pervades our society. Uh, But thinking about eternity, it's sobering, and it can center us on all of God's purposes for our lives. Uh, When this happens... We become more deliberate about living on mission for Jesus, uh, more thoughtful about using our lives and our energy and our resources in a way that will honor God and leave a spiritual legacy. That could mean simply showing hospitality in your home, reaching out to neighbors and to friends in order to create space for evangelism. It could entail investing more of your time and your energy in serving others giving away more of your resources to support uh, good gospel work in and through Redemption Road Church, Restoration Road Church. Uh, It looks like family devotions, praying for lost souls, helping others know God deeply in his word, being an active member in a local church where together you are working to see lives transformed and believers matured and, and build a faithful witness of Jesus Christ in this community Lord willing for successive generations. This kind of life, it involves taking an inventory of your gifts and your abilities and asking God to make the most of them. 
uh, for our family, uh, that meant leaving a healthy church. In the fall of 2017, my wife and I started fasting one day each week. We do that occasionally, just for like a month or two, to, to hunger after God, to seek, to seek the Lord. Uh, we're never looking to do anything big or famous or flashy for God. We just want to love Him with our whole hearts. And so uh, we will fast occasionally just one day a week. So I was doing that. And uh, I prayed through the book of Psalms. During that time, Psalm 90 was one of those psalms that I kind of camped out on for a while, meditating on God's Word, uh, really praying about stewardship, praying about fruitfulness in this life. And it was during that time that God really stirred me up and and made it clear that I was going to leave a church that I love, that was really comfortable, to go and do a new work in Portland. Thinking and praying about eternity and asking God to establish the work of my hands, it led me to take a bold step of obedience for Jesus Christ. As I was preparing for this morning, I was praying for you and wondering how God might stir you up as you set your mind more on eternity and pray more about stewardship in your own life. What what can God do with the gifts and the ability and the time that he's entrusted to your care? Let me tell you, God's word is true. Uh, When you live this way, the Lord gives you lots of joy. Um, uh, My wife and I had been having a lot of private conversations about what it would look like to leave Gresham Bible Church, to move away and start this new church in Portland. And once we were really firm on a timeline, we announced it to our kids. So we told our kids, hey, we're going to leave this place, all the people that you love, the church that you love, we're going to move into a new city, new community, and start a brand new work. And as soon as we said that, my eldest Olive said, is that why you've been so happy? We've just noticed that you and mom have been so happy. What she was able to observe was just the joy of the Lord in our lives. When you live on purpose for Jesus in this way, he will give you joy. You will not be lacking any good thing. Brothers and sisters, consider these things. Push back against the world's ideas of just living in the moment and going with the flow. Live for the Lord in light of eternity and delight yourself in him. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would give this church fresh vision, give the members of this church fresh vision for how they can live for you, Lord. Father, we pray that you would give encouragement to those who have been serving. Lord, remind them that their labor is not in vain. And Father, we pray for those who might be wondering what they can do for you, God, that you would make that really clear. Lord, give them discernment. And Lord, we pray for everyone. God, you would give them great joy as they live for you in this part of the state. Uh, Lord, on purpose for your glory and for the good of one another and for their own joy. In Christ's name, amen.